ask. How did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson with NM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah at gmail.com, and of course, I will answer as many as I can. So last week, we were talking all about the Sabbath, the importance, the meaning, um, why it supersedes the building of the tabernacle or a temple or a synagogue. Um, and there was a story I saw this week. I figure, let's get through that story first, and that'll help us actually delve right into this week's story portion. So the story is like this. There's a man, I believe his name is Kiki Bernard, if I'm pronouncing it right, from South Africa. He is an international speaker, one of these motivational speakers, all the Fortune 500 companies line up to get him to come speak. He doesn't come cheap. Um, he wrote a book. It's The Leopard Theory. I don't really, I didn't read the book. Leopardology probably calls it or something. I didn't read the book. But um, it, he uses, uh, you know, the idea of hunting. I've had other friends that have been in this style of, of uh, motivation. The, I guess the hunting and the tracking and the hiding and the, all the stuff. And he, he's well sought after. He's also an Orthodox Jew. So he was scheduled to speak the, the opening remarks for Microsoft. Again, I don't know where in the world he was actually speaking, but he was scheduled to speak for Microsoft, and these are things they take, you know, they plan on months in advance. And when he gets the schedule, he realizes the opening remarks will be Saturday, and he doesn't give speeches on Saturday. So he sends them back an email and says, I'm very sorry, um, the schedule for me to speak is on Saturday. I don't speak on Saturday. It's my Sabbath. So whoever was involved, whichever, uh, whichever um, v- vice president in charge of speakers, I don't know, um, sends back a message, you know, we'll, we'll pay you more. And again, the message comes back from uh, Kiki, I'm not interested. The message comes back, well, we really want you, we'll pay even more. At what point the offer on the table was basically six months worth of salary for one Speech. This is what we call a test. Right? Somebody's offering you hundreds of thousands of dollars to come speak, and for one, whatever it is, an hour or two of your time, and the other side of the coin is keeping Sabbath, it's not so easy. There's lots of people out there that if it was a choice of money, a lot of money, or keeping Sabbath, we have a lot of excuses. You know, this time God will understand, and I can do so much charity with that money. We make a lot of calculations. That's why this really, if you didn't listen to last week's show yet, you got to check up last week's show because it really fits into what we were talking about. So it's a lot of money. I can give charity. I could study more. I could be better. 
God will understand. I have people tell me all the time, God will understand. You know, he understands my situation. I give a little extra charity. It's all good. At the end of the day, Kiki said, I'm sorry. I need to make it very clear to you. This is not a money issue. It has nothing to do with money. This is, I don't speak on Saturday. I don't speak on my Sabbath. I don't do it. Okay. They got back to him. We so much want you to speak. We changed the schedule. And the opening remarks that you'll speak will be Sunday. Can you come on Sunday? He said, yeah. But he went back to the original price. He said, look, I, I want to make it clear. I was not doing this for money. I was doing this solely because I do not work on my Sabbath. Okay. Um, a, the same senior Microsoft executive calls Kiki um, a few months later. And he says, I want to tell you a story. And we appreciate you spoke. It was very beautiful. We got the story. Um, I was on Bill Gates's private plane. And we were having a discussion, and I told Bill Gates all about you, that we gave, we offered you an astronomical amount of money, and you refused because you keep the Sabbath. So Bill Gates said the following. He says, I'm a wealthy man. I can buy anything. I can buy people. I can buy patents. I can buy talent. I can buy companies. But there are some things that are not for sale. It doesn't matter how much money I offer. It's not for sale. And a Jew's Sabbath is one of those things. So you think about it. We talk about the value of something. What is the value? So this is value. And as we make decisions all the time, will I study now or will I, I don't know, watch a video? I don't know. You, you give a value to everything. Every time you do something, every time you make a choice, you are you are showing the value. You're giving it a value. I understand sometimes we have no choice. We do have jobs. We have to have jobs. We, we have meetings. People call us. I understand. But for example, and we like to talk about it all the time. Hmm, that's funny. There we go. We Sorry about the, my computer decided to go blank. It's terrible how we rely on these computers. But in any case, um, when we give value, so for example, you have private time with your children. Maybe, for example, in my case, I study with my children. So when I make a choice to do something else and tell the child we can't study now, I'm giving a value to that time, right? I'm telling the child this is your value, right? Let's make sure that at least if we needed, if we're busy, let's at least explain to the child how valuable his time is. My son, I don't know why, he's hooked on 6.15 in the evening. So even if I want to try to study a few minutes earlier, but he's stuck on 6.15, I say, but I, I have a meeting later and I can't cancel it. Could we at least study at 6 o'clock? And sometimes I'll tell him, I know you like to study at 6.15, so I pushed off the appointment till quarter to 7.00. He feels amazing because I am valuing, valuing that time. Okay, that's the story I wanted to tell you from last week. And how does that fit into this week? So the story with Kiki is all about money and making an accounting and giving a value to stuff. So he gave a value to the Sabbath. It has no, it has no price. Him and it should be an advertisement for uh, MasterCard, but okay. 
the beginning of this week's Torah portion is this week's Torah portion is Pekudei, and we're in the last Torah portion discussing the building of the tabernacle. And as we had in Truma and Tetzave, we talked about Moses got the instructions for what everything looks like, all the vessels and the building and all the clothes for the Kohanim, for the priests. Then we get into um, Kisisa, where Betzal is put in charge, and we give a list again of all the things that are happening. Last week's Torah portion of Ayakil, again, Betzal is giving the instructions of everything that has to be built. And this week's Torah portion, we finally do the, it's finally built according to instruction. So it turns out there's a total of five times that the Torah discusses the tabernacle, the building of the Mishkan. And it's, it's spread out, by the way, over five Torah portions. That's a lot of words. Sabbath doesn't get so many words. Piles of laws uh, keeping kosher, only a few verses. So it's amazing how many verses the Torah gives to building the tabernacle. And in this week's Torah portion, we're going to discuss the, um, the accounting, the final accounting. But what I want to point out is that there's a rule that anything the Torah counts over and over is very beloved. That's one of the answers. For example, we know the story of uh, when Eliezer goes to get a wife for Isaac, he gets Rebecca. That story has like 60 verses because it's valuable. It's very beloved by God. So the tabernacle itself must be very beloved because that was the way that God was going to send his presence down into the Jewish people, which again we're going to talk about as the show goes on. So we're giving an accounting. Beginning of the Torah portion, how much gold was collected, how much silver was collected, which is a little bit different because the silver was a tax, which, again, we're going to try to talk about later, and the copper. We're not counting how much wool and how much wood. That we don't take an, a, an official accounting, at least not in the verse. But these things of great value, the gold, the silver, and the copper, those actually get an accounting. Now, even though we give an accounting of how much gold was collected, the Torah doesn't actually discuss what was done with the gold. As we know from previous Torah portions, what was done, but the, the Torah itself does not say the, you know, the Ark had, the, the, had this much gold and the menorah. The menorah does say, by the way, and the table had this much gold and the plating of the, of the columns had this much gold and, and the, the small altar had this much gold. That, the Torah actually does not go in and tell us all the numbers. It does tell us what's done with the silver, and it gets very, it gets more nitty gritty when we talk about the copper. So, but the question is, why is an accounting necessary? I mean, it's very nice, right? But who cares, right? In other words, you collected all the gold and silver, you went ahead and built everything the way it was, you even went ahead when they collected it. Last week's Torah portion, when they collected the gold, the silver, the copper, the wool, they actually, it was, a, it was a fundraiser's dream because Moses goes ahead and tells the people we're building this tabernacle and this is the list of things we need. And within two days, they had everything they needed. So much so, the, the leaders of each tribe, the Nasi, the prince, these were the wealthiest, 
And they said originally, must have maybe they had a meeting beforehand with Moses. And they said to Moses, look, um, we're going to make sure this program gets off the ground. We're going to make sure you have all the money you need. So first let everybody bring in their stuff, and then you tell us what you're missing, and we'll take care of the rest. That's like, whoa, you're going to cover my, 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 uh, my budget. Anything I'm missing in my budget, you're going to pay? That's amazing. Except God doesn't like it that way. you got to stand up to the plate at the beginning and donate. So what happened was after two days, they had everything they needed. And Moses sent out the proclamation, we're done. No more collecting. We have everything we need. So if you think about it, if, if somebody who is the fundraiser, who is in charge of the capital campaign, um, wanted to put some money in his pocket, <laughs> just let the campaign go for an extra few days. You hit your number, so go a little further. Whoever heard of stopping a campaign? Well, I am Shiva Stachy just had a major raffle campaign. And interesting enough, the person in charge, the woman in charge, um, she had set a goal. She made a mistake. The goal was like, I don't know, 20000 more than it was supposed to be, and she pulled it off. But when she hit her number, we actually exceeded that number by a few thousand dollars. Nobody says, okay, we're done. No one's allowed to make phone calls. When you bring in your money late the next morning, no one says, sorry, we're not accepting it. That's unheard of. And here Moses goes ahead and says, we're done. So the, the Nassim, the prince of each tribe, they're stuck. They did not bring it in. And in the end, so God sends them these special jewels that would go on the breastplate, that would go on the shoulder straps of the, of the high priest. So they were given something to donate. And that's really a conversation uh, about what their punishment was for this. That's, we're not going to get into that now. And still, Moses is giving an accounting. Why does he have to give an accounting? He's obviously a very honest person. So lesson number one happens to be that when it comes to fundraising for a charitable organization. Let it be a school, let it be a synagogue, let it be uh, social services, let it be food for the poor, let it be a clothing drive. It doesn't matter what it is. Whatever that charity is, the books need to be open. No one gets to say, you should trust me. Trust me? You don't trust me? I'm not a trustworthy fellow. How can you not trusting me? How dare you accuse me? You accuse me of putting some money in my pocket. That's how people take, that's how people respond to those questions. Can we see your books? We had, a couple of years ago, we had a guy on the show. That's actually what he does for a living. He's, he's a philanthropic advisor. He goes to organizations and says, if you open your books, I can get um, fundraising in your direction. I can get funds to you. And there are people that won't open the books to him. He says, okay, what do you want? If, you, if I don't know how you run your organization, if you're not transparent, my donors don't want to give. They need transparency, which I do. So the point is even the great Moses is teaching us that you have to be transparent when it comes to a charity. People need to know um, how your funds are used. It's a fair thing. How much is spent for your teachers? How much is on the building? How much is on food? How much is on uh, trips? How much is on salaries for administration? 
Um, how much was the highest salary of your employees? The whole shebang. He has a right to know. What do your fundraisers get? Right? How much your fundraisers paid? Which reminds me of a good fundraising story. I can't remember if I told you. And if I have time, I'll try to remember. I'll tell you later. But in any case, that's answer number one of why an accounting is given to show the books have to be open. Fine. However, there's a second answer I saw this week. From Moshe Feinstein. It says like this. God gives everybody talents. Some of us could be teachers. Some of us know how to talk into a microphone. Uh, some of us know how to administrate. Some of us know how to sing. Some of us know how to write. Some of us could maybe we're painters. Maybe we're artists. There's, there's lots of talents out there. And people are full of talents. And anyone who has talents needs to know that there's going to be an accounting. If you have the ability to teach, know what I mean teaching? There's, there's lots of facets to teaching, right? I have to be able to control my class. I have to be able to entertain my class. I have to have the ability to give over the information in a way that they can understand it. Maybe I'm good at third grade. Maybe you're good at fifth grade. Maybe you're good at adults. Maybe you're a singer, so you can you can inspire people by leading the prayers. Or by a meal, you can inspire people with songs. Maybe you can write songs that inspire people. Maybe you're an artist, and you can use your artistry to decorate um, an organization or help them uh, with graphics to send out something that's eye-catching. I don't know. There's a lot of You're an administrator. You go ahead and run a campaign. You know how to talk to people. You know how to fundraise. You know how to make people feel good. You have the ability to walk into a, into a hospital. Okay, nowadays it's a little bit harder. And you can go to a patient and you can uplift that patient's spirits. You can make the nurses feel good. There's, there's a myriad of things out there where we all have talents. And again, I can't tell you what your talent is. But if you have a talent... So at the end of the day, God's going to say, I gave you talent A. You didn't use it. right? Some of us are so hooked up on what we think is most important, we forget our talents, and we say, but I always wanted to do, I don't know, I always wanted to teach. But you don't know how to teach. But I really want to teach. But you don't know how. So you're, you're struggling with something you're not good at. Right? You, Okay, the Olympics just finished, right? I always wanted to be a super speeder ice skater. But I trip every time I put the skates on. So it doesn't matter what I want. That's not where my talent lies, right? We got to use our talents. And whether we use them or not, at the end of the day, God's going to say, here's the accounting. I gave you this talent. Did you use it? End of story. So again, the beginning of this week's story portion is focused that we need to use our talents and money. A person is wealthy. He has the ability to give charity, right? There's an accounting. What did you do with the stuff I gave you? That's all God wants to know. Fine. Beginning of the Torah portion. So now, finally, right, after all these Torah portions, the tabernacle, the Mishkan, is finally set up. But it's interesting. They couldn't do it. Now, I've had... um, Many years ago, I had a, um, a um, an architect. Was, was he an architect? He's an engineer. We had an engineer in here, 
And we were discussing the the problems with the setup of the Mishkan. Right, the tabernacle is basically a big C, right, with two long arms. Um, there were no cross beams. It was massively heavy. And then we take these three, perhaps four, humongous curtains that hang it over the top. The Mishkan should have collapsed on itself. I mean, what, even what was holding up the walls were, you know, a few central uh, poles going through, some gold hooks on top. It should not have stood. It should have been impossible to set up and more impossible to stand. So, and the, and the workers, the Levites, could not get the tabernacle off the ground. They, they just couldn't set it up. It just wasn't working. So they went to Moses. So Moses said, okay, uh, so I'll do it. So God tells Moses, you do it. And Moses says, come on, I'm one guy. How exactly am I supposed to put up one pole and hope that it stays standing and get the next beam and put that one together and the next one and the curtain to get over the top? It's impossible. So God says, of course it's impossible. You just pretend. Right, you stick a finger like you're lifting it up, and it'll go up, and it'll stay in place, and you do that to the whole thing. Moses will do that for seven days, by the way. He will do the impossible. And then once he's done the impossible, it's now possible. It's fascinating. There are things in this world that no one can do. Right, We talked about it in the past. Four-minute mile. No one could run a four-minute mile. Then whatever his name was, began with a B. can't remember his name. Um, when the first guy ran the four-minute mile, so what happens? Now high schoolers can run the four-minute mile. right? It's, it's Once the impossible is brought down, it's now possible. But it's an interesting thought. That's the difference between the physical world we live in and the spiritual world. In the physical world, it's true. Everything I do, I need God's help. And God's doing it. But I have to put in my own effort. That's for sure. I put in my effort... And then God takes care of it. In the spiritual world, I don't have to do anything. Maybe I have to make it look like I'm doing something. But when it comes to spiritual, God does the whole thing. So we're talking about charities, fundraisers, where the money's going to come to pay the salaries. Um, anything in the spiritual realm, we need to get our mindset that God is taking care of the whole thing. Just like the building of the Mishkan. Um, the Panavijarov, um, he built um, full organizations in B'nai Brak in the 40s, 40s, 50s, 60s. He built one of the world's largest um, high school, post-high schools. He built an orphanage. He has a whole set of, uh, of social services in B'nai Brak that he built from scratch. And what's fascinating is when B'nai Brak was a desert, and Rommel was getting ready to invade Israel. Okay, God did miracles. He obviously was unable because he was uh, beaten back by the by the English. But when Rommel was ready to invade during World War II into Israel, and the country was shaking that he was going to take over. He's busy buying land for his school. What are you crazy? He was a world traveler. He was a world-famous fundraiser because he knew it wasn't him. He said, God needs this to be done. My job is to run around. I run around, but God has to do the whole thing. I'm not doing it. It has nothing to do with me. Right? He said, the Panavishwam said, that if you make calculations, nothing gets done. You just got to do it. 
How are we going to be able to do this? How's it? If we sit down before we build, obviously, we want to build a building, you have to have the funds. But how are we going to run our school? How are we going to manage it? It's God's problem. Yes, God wants us to run around and pretend, I guess. But at the end of the day, our focus, our mindset is always that God is taking care of the whole thing. That's the only way it works. So the verse, there's actually 18 times in this week's Torah portion that it says the following phrase. And a lot of times I like to count it as the, as the Torah is being read each week. Then I space out, can't remember what number I'm up to. Ah, uh, and I can't even get to it. There goes the music. Anyways, I hope you enjoyed it short and sweet. Thank you, of course, to all my wonderful sponsors and listeners. You know, I can't do it without you. Thank you to the production team. We have David Sisko and Andy in the back. I hope I've left you in food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Toro on NRM Streamcast. Until next time, don't forget to think about it.